0: Welcome back to the Cinema Adventure Podcast, we're a movie podcast where every week we sit down and talk about a film, could be an old one, could be a new one, this time it's an old one. Mm. I'm Aiden Walker.
1: And I'm Blake Peterson.
0: (laughs) You know, it's one of those days where you just forget what your last name is. Well,
1: I wasn't sure if the vibe was, I'm saying first and last or if I could just be, you know. We should come up
0: with a funky nickname for you.
1: A funky, the (laughs) dragon. Okay, we'll do it again. We'll
0: roll it back. (laughs) Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Aiden Walker.
1: And I'm Blake Peterson. I'm not doing a fun nickname. There's no way. I thought you were going to say Dragon that. Dragon Peterson. No, I
0: can't. Okay. That's fine.
1: What are we talking about today, Blake? Today we're talking about the classic horror movie Suspiria, directed by Dario Argento. And this is, I would say, one of the more polarizing horror movies ever made. What what exactly was your reaction to this movie? Because it is very, very extreme, I would say. Well,
0: I don't know. I didn't love it. I didn't dislike it. I I did wow. enjoy it when I was watching it. I think it does some interesting stuff that you don't see too often in movies. I can I can understand why this one was influential in the horror genre because yeah. it does it does bend some rules and do some some pretty wild out there stuff when it comes to visuals and audio soundtrack kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, no. I you love this movie too. I'm you? obsessed with this movie. I it's one of my favorite movies. It's probably my favorite horror movie I've ever seen cuz I think I also just have this weakness for horror movies or movies in general that are just like nothing else, you know? And there's nothing you can compare this movie to. Very influential, but also you're not seeing a lot of other movies taking these these many stylistic risks, I would say. I think
0: this film has a lot in common with just sort of the way that David Lynch structures some mm-hmm. of his movies and I can see why that would be something that you would be into
1: yeah that's true I think I actually saw this before I'd even watched David Lynch movies I saw this really I really saw this really young maybe maybe when I was like 14 or something it was playing on I guess because it was distributed by 20th Century Fox they had like the Fox movie channel and for some reason this was playing on it and I think I only watched it because it said it was like for mature audiences so I was like oh wow let me do something really daring today And watch this. And so I think that was like my first taste. When Mm. I first saw it, I was pretty horrified by it. Did you feel like that at all? Did you have almost like a horrified reaction to it? Or did it kind of just... No, we've talked about this
0: before. I think I'm pretty desensitized. (laughs) Earlier this year, I watched a lot of Japanese kind of violent movies. Not horror Mm. movies, but just kind of a pulp. They do this thing in those films where when somebody gets slashed with a samurai sword or what have you, they spray blood all over the place, and it's just oh, so it. bright red, and so the consistency is off. It looks thick, and they do the same thing in this movie. Get all so the blood. I, it's, it looks pretty fake to me, and so that the gore and the violence doesn't scare me so much as the sound design and just
1: the unrealness of the locations. You yeah, know, this movie is very, very... It really overdoes its artificiality, and I think... I think as far as visually and aurally with the soundtrack, this is probably one of the most intense movies I've seen in regards to both. Yeah. Like all the colors are very, it's all very primarily colored, not a lot of shades. It's all very, very bright. Almost just like all the colors you'd see in like a Technicolor musical from the 40s, but in like this horror setting. Combined with like a gothic design, you have that as well as this really extreme loud soundtrack by Goblin, who was like a progressive rock band at the time. Who, I mean, that soundtrack is really, really loud and intense. It sounds like a lot of just banging noises, and it plays throughout the movie.
0: And especially at times when you wouldn't expect a
1: soundtrack to be doing yeah. anything.
0: Lots of times where there's just characters walking or just sitting, and there's just this loud banging. And I'm fairly certain they're playing a didgeridoo a little bit in there, too. It yeah, like
1: a didgeridoo. I feel like there's a couple points in the soundtrack, too, where it almost sounds like they have, like, these ghost noises also playing over it. There's that. They also have kind of a sing-songy one. There's a lot of variety in it, but no matter what, the soundtrack is pretty much always blaring in this. You want to give them a plot summary? Um, So basically it is about this American dancer named Susie, played by Jessica Harper. She's an American ballet dancer who comes to Germany to go to this really renowned ballet school. Like, really shortly into her stay, like, all these really strange things are happening. She, There's been a couple murders at the school, she keeps having these really random bouts of illness, and then she discovers that the school actually is a front for a coven of witches. Even though that sounds pretty simple, it's that unfolds very slowly, and there's a huge emphasis on all the strange things that are happening at the school. You don't really find out what's really going on until the last half hour or so.
0: Yeah, and the opening 15 minutes are just about the most intense, violently, that the film gets. Yeah. Because right as Susie arrives at this. Dance school. Pat.
1: Yeah, I yes. think it's Pat.
0: Pat Hingle. Pat Hingle. Pat I think Hingle. that's
1: like a director also, like nowadays. I don't oh. know if they did that on purpose, <laughs> but like now I always think of him. <laughs> Pat Hingle is
0: another character who's played by Eva Axon, and she is leaving the school right as Jessica Harper's character, Susie, is arriving, and there's this terrible storm, it's a big rainstorm. So she runs out and she's She's yelling some stuff thats not that doesn't make a lot of sense. She's talking about irises and the color blue, but it's almost unintelligible over the soundtrack and some sound yeah. of the rain. So she disappears, but then there's this whole series of shots where she gets sucked through a window by this horrible, hairy arm, and then she's pushed through a skylight and hanged by some rope in the middle of this school.
1: Oh, it actually... I thought it was a school what? at first, oh. too, but it's actually an apartment in town. Like, oh. She escapes and goes to an apartment, which I didn't realize until, like... I think I read on Wikipedia that she went to an apartment, but I thought she was still at the school. But yeah, she goes to her friend's apartment, her hotel room, and is murdered in a way that is so nonsensical. Because f- first you see her, yeah, through getting slammed against this window and stuff by this murderer, and then all of a sudden her body's being dragged o- like on the roof of the building that's this kind of beautiful, colorful glass, and she's being dragged onto that, and then she's broken through it and, like, hung by a rope. Like, it's just, you don't understand exactly where she is.
0: Yeah, the order of events is unclear. Yeah,
1: super unclear, but I think that establishes very early on that this is not a movie that makes a lot of sense. This movie, I think what, what Dario Argento wants to accomplish is to create this sort of nightmarish fairy tale, and so I think he's less concerned about making a sensical storyline more about just making us very uncomfortable and freaked out, honestly.
0: I think it's fitting that we're doing this after our Night of the Hunter episode.
1: Yeah. A lot Speaking of, of nightmarish
0: fairy tales. Yeah,
1: this is definitely a lot more nightmarish. I feel like Night of the Hunter is a little, a lot more subtle, whereas Dario Argento goes all out to make this world so unreal and so uncomfortable to be in that you, you're you like at once entranced by it but also really horrified by it. It's this really weird... Combination, Like, I can't stop looking at it, but I also, like, would like to stop looking at it. So, that's <laughs> yeah, this weird combo. You're introduced to the movie pretty much through this murder. You also get a lot of really cool shots of Jessica Harper just going to the school. She gets in this taxi, and the lighting is very much just, like, this really colorful stage lighting as she's going through a forest scene. And, like, even the trees, they all look very artificial. And so you see her arriving in this new country, already a newcomer. She's
0: a, It's Germany.
1: Yeah, already Germany. I'm um, not used to this. The culture already so she has that culture shock and then she drives through all this darkness and all these trees and then she arrives at the school which is hot pink it's this huge gothic kind of mansion right off the bat you can feel her sense of uncomfortability and then it just gets worse and worse from there already an outsider and then to have You know, this witch coven thing. There's not ever really a sense of comfort during this movie. You're always nervous about something.
0: So Susie makes some friends. She becomes friends with a woman named Sarah, who's also a dancer at the school. She's played by Stefania Cassini. Yes. And uh, Sarah also meets an untimely death. Uh, She's pursued by somebody, by some kind of scary character. And she gets trapped in a closet. She opens a window and jumps out into another room. But... She doesn't look down and neither <laughs> neither does the camera and she ends up in a pile of razor wire. And while she's trying to claw her way out of there, the figure, whoever it was that's pursuing her, slits her throat.
1: No, just like Pat's death, the whole scene is very, there's not a very real sense of place at all. You don't know where she is at all. And even, I feel like the razor wire thing is almost just, like, dicing on the cake. Like, just this other setting that makes no sense. Like, why would there just be a room full of razor wire? But Certainly. It seems
0: like like a room that's got all kinds of gardening tools. Like, it might be useful, but you don't see any garden or anything that's very natural around the school. It seems to be pretty much in the middle of this city. Anyway, it's just so odd. She dies. There's these other deaths at the beginning of the film. And... Basically, Susie Banyan becomes this character who you're rooting for because you want her to solve the mystery. You're wondering, what the heck is going on here? Who is this scary character who's pursuing these people and killing them? Why are his arms so hairy? Yeah. And these are questions that don't get answered.
1: Which is something that I like too about this movie because so many horror movies, they try to really, really explain what's going on. And I think a lot of movies of the genre, a lot of their effect is ruined because we learn too much. And I think part of horror, what makes it such an appealing genre to me is having it build up in your mind and become scarier the more you try to fill in the blanks. And so many horror movies, they don't allow you to do that. And so because this one has so many question marks and so many things that are unclear, you just keep thinking about it, keep trying to solve the mystery. And you really can't, but it almost gets more horrifying because there are so many mysteries.
0: The witch, who's the leader, who she's the elusive president, yeah. right, of
1: this... Elena Marcos. Yeah. Great name.
0: ...is not seen until the end. She's hinted at... Anyway, so yeah. she, she's this very, very old witch who's just... Ancient, right? Don't they say something about when she started the school, right? Yeah, was... like she's
1: centuries old. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah,
0: and she's so old that she can't really move very much or do much. So, you see her after there's this incident with maggots that come out of the ceiling, which is skin crawling. It's so gross. Um, <laughs> that that is horrible. There's this that whole incident happens above all of the girls' dormitories. And they create this whole room for all the girls to sleep in. They convert It's like the dining hall or something. They convert into yeah. just a sleeping chamber. The main characters, Susie and Sarah, are in bed. But they hear this odd snoring noise. And they look over and there's this big curtain. And it's lit from the back. And they can see a woman behind it. And they're like, oh, it's her. She must be it. But they never look behind the curtain. And it's just hinted at. But you see that same image again at the end of the movie when Susie finds this secret room after... Uh, learning that the strange words that the woman who was running away from the school, Pat Hingle, <laughs> was saying earlier, the blue iris was a, a hint, was a clue. There's this strange room where the president, vice president of the university, I think it's president or vice president, one of the higher-ups. Madame Blanc yeah Madame, like, Blanc? yeah, Madame Blanc, right. Uh, she, which is a funny name for that character. I love it. Right, because... Isn't she the black queen or
1: something? Pretty much, yeah. So it's like and a total juxtaposition.
0: She has this whole room where she drinks tea and speaks with people that's just painted in this really garish pink. And there's all these like buildings and kind of forested scenes painted painted on the wall. And there's some flowers. There's some irises. And basically what happens is it's discovered by Susie. And she goes and she, after remembering about the irises, uh, rotates the blue one and it reveals a secret passageway which leads into uh, Elena Marcus's secret witch chamber where she views some of the other staff of the uni I want to say university the dance school <laughs> performing some kind of ritual to condemn her yeah uh, to death because they don't want some American in their school
1: it's- yeah you know it's funny that whole finale the way it plays out so many things are revealed at one time but I feel like it's only five minutes long like it's a really quick finale with so much going on at one time but I like it, too, because the way the movie ends with Susie, she, like, stabs the Marcos woman with part of, like, a it's peacock like a hair. Statue. It's like
0: a hairpin, I yeah, think. Yeah, like
1: a hairpin or something like that, yeah. But you never actually, you still don't really see the witch. You kind of see her face, but she stabs, she's, like, able to turn invisible, and you just see, like, her outline. And she stabs that, and then the movie ends basically with the entire school bursting into flames because, like, the coven can't be anything without its leader.
0: One of the most disturbing images of the film is when when uh, Susie enters the room with the witch and the witch becomes aware of her presence, she reanimates the corpse of her friend, Sarah, and she's just covered in, like, nails and blood, and she's just
1: zombie-like. Yeah, she's, like, cackling and blood's coming out of her mouth. Like, it's... I remember when I was a kid, that freaked me out, because I wasn't... I mean, I guess I've seen it so many times that I'm like, oh, I'm just waiting for Sarah to come back. But at the time, like, just that image was so unexpected. And really... And I think Jessica Harper actually well in that scene too because you can see her literally shaking it. I think so much of the movie is very unreal but for the most part you believe everything that she's feeling because so much of it feels fake and kind of off. It is nice to have Jessica Harper playing this pretty for the most part she's pretty meek and small and slim and you can really empathize with her trying to figure out what's going on but also being very vulnerable this entire time. She never feels like this powerful like chosen one. She just kind of incidentally becomes the person who's going to take down this coven basically. But it's interesting because she wasn't originally even considered to star in the movie. What had happened was, is the movie's co-screenwriter, it was written by Dario Argento, and then his partner at the time, Daria Nicolodi, who also was an actress, she did. She was in a bunch of his movies. But she was originally supposed to star in the movie. That was pretty concrete, but when American distributors got involved, they were like, oh no, we can't have this unknown actress. We need to have an American actress come and play. And so they picked Jessica Harper and weren't that happy about it, but I think it works really well, because she feels so out of place, and that's kind of the point.
0: I want to ask you about some symbolism Oh, okay. because I'm not sure what to make of it. Multiple times in the film, there's a lot of focus on water mm-hmm. and that water going down drains. And during the beginning of the film, during the big storm, there's a lot of shots of running water and then water running down into a gutter. And then later on, there's a extended shot of Susie Banyan in a bathroom and she washes her hand and there's a really long... Focused shot of the water spiraling down the drain. Yeah. After she's trying to clean out the wine that she poured down the drain, that was very sticky wine. Really very, stayed. Very really stayed in did that not, sink. Yeah, did not. Yeah. She needed. She needed some kind of scrub <laughs> for that. But yeah, I don't know what to make of that. Do you, I I wonder if it's if it has something to do with just the effect that the school is having on Susie because she falls ill when she gets there. She's physically drained. I mean, that seems like kind of yeah. maybe a stretch. But I don't know. What do you make of that?
1: I didn't really think of it very much about symbolism because I know when Argento made the movie, he just wanted this very visually astounding experience for viewers. So I I don't know if there was necessarily this push for symbolism. I think a lot of it might just be incidental and he just liked how things looked. But I wasn't super thinking about that. I think I was just so focused on just being trying to be hypnotized by the imagery, really. Did you have any ideas about that?
0: I, yeah, I mean, there's just something unsettling about the way the camera just lingers on something moving out of sight and into just a dark yeah. hole you know it has to have something to do with the way that things happen in the school about these girls so. disappearing and just kind of the unknown of what's on the other side yeah of that I think that's, thing.
1: that's definitely what it could be Yeah, just almost this representation of how many times maybe this Kind of similar situation has happened, but maybe not with the same success that Susie sees. You know, you see these girls disappearing or falling victim to this witch falling into this black hole almost of evil and nothing comes of it ever. And I mean, obviously it's been going on for centuries, this this entire coven taking advantage of these girls. But yeah, I think that could definitely be just kind of this representation of the unknown and all these things that have happened. But there are a lot of recurring things that happened in a lot of Argento's other movies like... There's a huge emphasis on, like, characters, like, as they're getting murdered, like, running into glass and breaking glass and like, pretty much all of his movies, because he did mostly slasher movies like this, pretty much all of them involve a character getting run into glass, basically, um, during one of their scenes, but that's huge. His use of stage lighting also is very prevalent in a lot of his movies, so you see a lot of these recurring kinds of images that are definitely his trademark, as well as the really loud soundtrack. He worked with the Goblins several more times. Um, or goblin, he worked with him several more times, so it does fit in pretty well with his entire aesthetic. Now,
0: I'm gonna apologize up front because I am under the weather. The fall season has you caught did. up to me, and I have become ill. <laughs> so I'm not going to sing to you today, but no. I would like to hear some fun facts. Would you grace me with them?
1: Sure, I really. You should do that from now on. Just no singing, so just like Blake. Do you have any fun facts? I'm so calm. Well, oh, Blake. I feel like you just lit My a candle. My sweet
0: Blake. <laughs> Would you please, just for me, tell me some fun facts? I guess. Well, I feel like I've been handed, like, <laughs> a, a glass <laughs> of
1: chamomile to you. Like, it's great. Okay. So, fun facts. So, this movie is generally considered to be a part of it is an Italian horror movie, but American horror it can be anything where it's like Italian horror is very specific. There is a specific genre for Italian horror called Giallo. The this kind of movie became really popular around 1970, kind of the late sixties. And basically the Giallo genre, which is pretty much just Italian horror. So they're really just slasher movies, but very hyper-stylized, like this movie are very I'm heavy on this kind of garish visual style, loud music, very breakneck editing a lot of the times during death scenes, usually set in glamorous worlds like in the fashion world or in movie making. They're usually they're honestly just classier versions of slasher movies, but usually a lot cooler, a lot more emphasis on just this juxtaposition between beauty and horror. But yeah, they were usually they were most popular 60s until maybe like the early 80s. And the director of Suspiria, Dario Argento, was basically the reason it became really popular. It had first been kind of done in the early 60s by Mario Bava. He did a couple of really stylish slash movies, but it wasn't really considered giallo. Generally, Suspiria is a little bit controversial in terms of if it is a giallo movie or not, because it has a lot of the same characteristics. But because it is so heavy in terms of this supernatural imagery and this overemphasis on colors... Some people say it is a giallo. Some people say it's more strictly a supernatural movie. But it is generally considered to be Argento's magnum opus. Really, he had never recreated this perfect sort of horror movie that had not been done before. It is the first part of his Three Mothers trilogy, so this is the first one, and then after that was Infer- Inferno in 1980, and then the Mother of Tears in 2007, and the other two deal with the other two lead witches, like Elena Marcos's sisters. And this- Inferno's pretty similar to Suspiria. I think it's a lot weirder. There's like one death scene where it's just like 50 cats killing someone, so like that's interesting. Do they have
0: um, any of the same characters?
1: They don't have the same characters at all. They're just, like, similar stylistically and in their story. Although hmm. Daria Nicolodi, who was supposed to play Susie originally, she is one of the main characters in both of those movies. Also, one of the reasons I wanted to talk about this movie, in addition to loving it, it is being remade by Luca Guadagnino. I think it should be released at the end of the year with, like, Tilda Swinton, Dakota Johnson, and Chloe Grace Moretz, which I guess Argento's not super happy about it because he figures if they're going to remake it the same way it was and it's just a copy and there's no point in doing it because it's already been done. And then he says, if it's different than my movie, then don't call it Suspiria, just call it something else and just say, you know, you were paying homage to me. So he's not super happy about it. He thinks it's a waste of time. But some more just, I guess, trivia kinds of things. These are more just background information sorts. Um, So it used the Ambivision Technicolor process that was used for The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. Argento really wanted to have this ultra colorful look in his cinematography. And so he figured that was the best way to approach that. And that wasn't really super common in the 1970s because that sort of process had pretty much died off in like the fifties or so. So he brought it back for this movie when they filmed it. They didn't usually record sound because all the actors spoke different languages. Like you had a handful that spoke English, like Joan Bennett, who plays Madame Blanc or Alita Valley, who plays her kind of sidekick. They could speak English, but everyone else was like Italian, German, So they never recorded sound, and Jessica Harper herself said that it was really odd because, like, while they'd be filming, Argenta would be playing the soundtrack full blast, and then there would also be, like, people on the set, like, hammering away at, like, sets and stuff because they weren't recording sound at all. So she would feel like, even though they were filming, that it was almost like a rehearsal because it didn't really seem like it was correct. The dub is pretty odd. The dub is really odd. I think it really works here, though. Because, like, in the end, there is, like, a dubbing, but... It also heightens that sense of unreality that the movie generates. So, like, I think dubbing for a lot of movies can make it seem cheaper or inferior to other movies. But I think this time it, like, actually kind of makes sense. But it is interesting because, like, she would, during her scenes with, like, Stefania Cassini, she doesn't speak Italian at all, but she would, like, pretend like she knew what her co-star was saying. Even the scene where, talking to, like, Udo Kier and then the German psychiatrist, they both kind of explain later on in the movie To Jessica Harper, what's going on? But she didn't understand what they were saying the entire time. So she was just sitting there trying not to not pay attention at all because she didn't know what they were saying whatsoever. And both monologues are so long, too. So she's just, like, sitting there pretending to be interested. That's really good acting. What a nightmare. (laughs) Such a nightmare. But works well, I think. Also, originally, Argento wanted the movie to star... 8- to 10-year-old girls because it's based on, I think, a novel from the 1800s or something. Might have to double-check that. But in that one, it is more of a fairy tale, and so there are a bunch of little girls involved. Distributors did not like the idea, obviously, of little girls getting murdered for an entire movie. There was that aspect, and then also Argento was such a perfectionist that he knew if he had to adhere to like how many hours child actors could work he knew that it, the filming would take forever because he can't he can't just like keep them all day basically so that was scrapped which is probably a good thing honestly i don't think i would Like this movie, if they're a bunch of kids. But because it had kids in mind, that's why a lot of the dialogue's kind of childish because they kept a lot of that Mm, stuff. That makes sense, Um, actually. Yeah, it makes a lot of of sense. Some of the dialogue in this film is pretty unbelievable. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But also, I feel like, once again, adding to that sense of unreality, like everything about this movie feels so false and weird. I understand the viewpoint that some people have,
0: since it is a polarizing film, of it being really horrible. I can understand that because the dialogue is pretty atrocious (laughs) in a lot of places. And the film really does drag for a while. It's not a long movie, but like that whole middle section where you're kind of trying to piece together what's happening and try and figure out what's going on. If you're not super engaged in knowing what the mystery is, would probably feel really boring.
1: Yeah. No, I could definitely see that. I personally never do because I think I'm just very easily distracted by how it looks. But I could definitely see viewers being like, okay, when is this going to start being kind of clear? Because it never really does. Pretty much all of our Argento's movies have very bad stilted dialogue. I think here I'm like, oh, well, it works so well. But, like, he literally is just not a good writer at all. Oh, man. But, um, but you know, obviously great visual storyteller, so at least he has that going for him. But, yeah, I mentioned earlier that he would play the soundtrack on full blast during filming to make everyone really uncomfortable and tense, which... Plays off well. I feel like most of the actors seem a little bit on edge for the most part. It's kind of a smart move. Also sounds like that would be terrible. Yeah. (laughs) I recommended watching... What did I recommend watching with headphones?
0: Of a new Blade Runner. I said, if you're going to watch 2049 when it comes out on Blu-ray or on your device, I said, make sure you watch it with headphones because it's definitely an aural experience but I would not recommend watching this movie with headphones. I'd say probably probably watch it
1: on some speakers and turn it down low because if you want to keep your hearing intact, that's probably the way to go. Yeah, no, I had to turn it down every time the music would blur. And even right off the bat, when the credits start, the music is, like, pounding. It's so loud. And I remember the website I was using to watch it was being really slow, so I kept having to, like, refresh the screen. And so I would keep hearing, like, the same, like, drum-pounding Like, every few seconds, and it was so... I
0: honestly think it's a miracle that you were able to watch this movie
1: on television at one point in your life. Because this movie is impossible to find. It's very hard to find. It's actually out of print. So, which I didn't even realize that until watching it. I Luckily, you can find it on... I mean, I feel like I... Normally, I would say, you know, rent a movie, you know, support it. But this one's really hard to find. So, if you can find it, go for it. But I watched a version. There's luckily a version on YouTube that's 1080p. Like, it's very, very good quality. It has these huge Spanish subtitles for some reason, but other than that... I did the same thing. Yeah, but it's a really still nice transfer. It was Um, on Amazon earlier this year, but they pulled it. Yeah, it was on Prime, which is weird because a lot of Argento's other movies are on Prime, but for some reason they don't have his masterpiece, which is really frustrating. So I'm glad that turned out, but yeah, definitely I would recommend watching the YouTube version. Yeah, to go back to fun facts, the part where Stefani Cassini falls into the razor wire... They did use wire, not razor wire, obviously, but it was still really uncomfortable for her because it, as she would move, it would still tighten around her and press into her skin super hard. And so when she got home, she had all these marks all over her because it was such a painful experience. Luckily, they did it in one take, so it wasn't super detrimental to her in the long run, but she said it was pretty miserable, to film. Also, the lady who plays Elena Marcos was actually found on the street by Argento. She was a 90-year-old ex-hooker, according to Jessica Harper. So that was kind of just a stroke of luck casting, I guess. Maggots falling from ceiling in that one scene is actually Rice from, like, the faraway shots. Not the actual maggots, but, yeah, when it's falling on all the actresses, they luckily did not actually have maggots falling on them that would be really bad and then finally jessica harper said for her i keep saying first and last i've done this in like every podcast it's crazy gotta let them know gotta let people know which jessica i'm talking about even though there's literally one jessica in this movie anyway she said for her the most frightening scene was during the finale where everything was exploding because everything was exploding but because argento is also playing the soundtrack on full blast, to have that in addition to everything exploding around her uh, she said that was a super frightening experience, especially because the explosions were really close to her. So she was worried she was going to get hurt in some way. I can't imagine this would be, like, while you're filming it, you would not think, like, oh, this is going to be really great. Like, it, I would think as an actor, you'd be like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, it's certainly. There's You would just be like, who is this strange Italian director? Like, should I be trusting him? It would be hard. And especially, too, at this point, he had only made pretty standard Giallo films, just... I mean still very stylish but much more straightforward like who done it kinds of stories. So this was a total total change for him. This very huge emphasis on style. Before he had tried to work in more story, but this was definitely a first.
0: I think we're going to do final thoughts now. Already, I think wow. it's time. <laughs> my final thoughts are there's a character we haven't talked about and that's the piano player who's yes. blind. Oh yeah. He he's my favorite character. I, <laughs> I liked so him a lot for him. He has this dog and there's some dark magic that happens and He's killed by his own dog in the middle of this square. And that scene is probably, I think for me, was the scariest scene of the movie. That really freaked me out. But he's a great character. What I think would have improved this movie, I'm not saying I need it to be explained to me. I don't want everything explained, but I think there was a little more of kind of what was going on behind the scenes. I would have liked it better. You know, there's this crazy hairy demon that's pulling people through windows and you see it's sharp green eyes behind a veil for a moment, but then you never know who it is or where it came from. I assume that it's some kind of actual demon that was raised in some ritual by these witches, but there's not quite enough information there for me to say. Interesting. I wonder, it didn't make me think, what is the deeper lore of this movie? Like where, where is this backstory? So I think for me, it would be improved by a little bit more of that and a little bit more about the witches. I think this could be achieved if the finale was longer than five minutes like we discussed. If they focus more on like, what are the witches up to? Where do they come from? What's their story? It's interesting that they choose not to show that stuff.
1: No, I like, I think for the most part, I kind of disagree just because I think because you don't really know. You, You do kind of come to the conclusion that it's all just Elena Marcos and all her minions at the school. But I like, I like this ambiguity because it just shows that no matter where you are in this location, you're not safe. And... Every time the music plays, you're kind of aware of Elena Marcos's presence. And so I think I like the fact that you can't – it's an evil that can't necessarily be defined. I think so many movies, you can, like, destroy the villain. You can, like, stab them or shoot them, whatever. And, I mean, they do that in Elena Marcos's case at the end. But this one for so long is so – it's just, like, a huge question mark. And all this really grisly, grotesque stuff is going on. But you have no idea why, and even towards the end you're not really sure exactly how it all played out. For me, that's part of what makes it so appealing, is it already is so uncomfortable to sit through, but you also don't know what's going on. I read some critic review a while ago saying that it's like the closest a director's come to capturing a nightmare on screen, and I feel the same way. Because I think nightmares, when you think of them, a lot of them do kind of have a story for the most part. When you think about it, like there's always a driving force to why the nightmare is scaring you. There's so many things that you can't really pinpoint, and I think Suspiria does that really well in the exact same way. So for me, I think this is one of my favorite horror movies because it does what I like that horror movies don't do a lot is just not really explain themselves. Just kind of freak us out and then let us have to fill in the blanks, which sometimes could be more horrifying just using your imagination as opposed to just having it all explained. There are a lot of things wrong with this movie for sure, but I think I just kind of ignore them all because it does so many things that I love. I think you may have just changed my mind.
0: I think you, <laughs> you've <glad>. moved me. <laughs> wow, that's so good.
1: Should yeah. I recommend some movies? Sure. Do you want to go first? I would love to go first. Amazing.
0: I think Blake is right. There's very little in this movie that has been done in other movies. Yes, think that's really great. There is one movie that does spring to mind for me, and that's the Japanese movie House,
1: Mm. or Hausu. That movie's crazy. That movie is
0: crazy. (laughs) I think mostly why I find them similar is the lighting. There's a lot of really intense red, blue, primary color, really intense colorful lighting. And that's a crazy movie with a bunch of Japanese schoolgirls who leave to go to a friend's aunt's house in the countryside, and then the house is haunted and they have this adorable cat that they take with them and then all these terrible things happen that movie is a, a wild ride easily the most nuts movie I've seen in the last year yeah. so I highly recommend that I wouldn't say it's necessarily scary yeah. I think it's horror but it's it's campy in a way
1: that's really fun yeah no, it's um, really it's really light-hearted I think compared to it has a lot of the same stylistic elements as spirit has but it's presented as so much more fun and lighthearted. So yeah, this is too intense. Why is that? (laughs) Yeah.
0: This house has a really defined aesthetic too, which is just like, it's cutesy horror, (laughs) you know? Definitely. And my other recommendation that's more serious is if you enjoy Suspiria and you enjoy this weird dreamlike feeling that you've kind of entered this alternate world where things are not quite right and everything's a little bit off, I think you need to watch Blue Velvet. Mm. I love Blue Velvet and Blake and I, we don't see eye to eye on everything about Lynch. I don't love everything from Lynch, but I think Blue Velvet's really wonderful. And it really does capture this feeling that you have entered into a space that is not navigable in the normal sense, you know, and this in Suspiria, you enter the door of the dance academy and everything is wrong, right? In Blue Velvet, the camera goes into a severed human ear sitting in somebody's front lawn and you've entered the world of Blue Velvet and you can't really get back out of it.
1: So... Those are my recommendations. What do you got? So I went with the general Italian horror slash giallo thing because it is it is one of my favorite genres. I kind of will watch just a random one at any given time. I just watched one the other day called A Lizard in a Woman's Skin. That's pretty good. I'm not going to – they have great names also. Get ready for these titles. Um, I mean, that one I'm not going to recommend because it's not the best. But it is a super fun genre. So if you – are looking for something similar, like definitely check out. There are lots of, you know, like top ten Guillermo movie lists. So feel free to check those out. Even the bad ones are fun. But my favorites are uh, one of my first one I'm going to recommend is another Argento movie. It was a movie he made before Suspiria, called Deep Red, and Deep Red is about um, a killer is on the loose. What happens is, as you are originally introduced to them. They're attending. The killer is attending a kind of a Q and a session where a psychic is at the table and doing like the classic, like, Oh, this person sitting in this row, this is their name, whatever. But then all of a sudden she notices the killer and like, says like, you're going to kill again. And so after that, it sets off this murder spree of anyone who might've seen the killer is killed. And it's just really good. Who done it. It's like this movie, the dialogue's not super great and it does drag in a few moments, but the way Argento stages, the death scenes here are really, really good. And the, the final plot twist is really incredible. So it is a fun, because this one is a lot more straightforward. So if Suspiria was a little bit much for you, I would definitely recommend looking in the direction of Deep Red. Another really good Giallo movie is called, if you thought the title I just said was crazy, get ready for this one. This one is called, Your Vice is a Locked Room and Only I Have the Key. And this one is directed by Sergio Martino. It's a whodunit, but it also has a lot of the same ideas as Double Identity. You have a femme fatale character who is intermixed with this murder mystery. And you're not positive if she's responsible or if there's a damsel in distress character as well, you're not sure if she's responsible. But it's a very mysterious movie. Great title, obviously. And another really great plot twist at the end. So that's a good one. And then finally, I recently watched this movie called The Psychic, directed by Lucio Fulci. And it's about a woman who, she keeps having these visions, and in each vision she sees the death of a woman. And she tries to figure it out. She's not sure exactly what's going on and then toward the middle she finds out that she's witnessing her own death and so she has to find out before she is killed who's responsible and how she can maybe make it not happen to her so these are all really fun movies so i recommend them highly they're a lot more straightforward than Suspiria. so you know if you are just looking for a fun mystery these are all perfect but those are my recommendations for today (laughs) excellent
0: if you like this you can find more podcasts from us on apple podcasts on google play you can find us on uwpodcast.com where all of our episodes and episodes from other wonderful shows. If you want to reach out to us, you can reach us at podcast at gmail.com. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Aiden Walkero, And I'm at Blake W. Peterson. I want to thank Alex Bruel for making our theme song. It's called The Scheme. Mm all right well thank you so much for listening blake thank you for joining me
1: thank you for having me even though i'm here every week (laughs) love it all right part of the bonus of being a co-host yes see you next time Bye. bye junk food is like in other places? My name is Dee Dee Madigan, host of the weekly podcast Home Plates, where I ask that question and many more. Each week, an international student joins me here in the studio to discuss their food culture. Don't miss new episodes every Wednesday right here on the Soundbite Network.
0: For more like this and other great shows covering sports, science, relationships, and the arts, visit the Soundbites website, uwpodcast.com. That's uwpodcast.com.